Let's get back to Proverbs chapter number 15 tonight. Proverbs chapter number 15 tonight. And thank you so much for being here on Wednesday night. We are starting school in a few days. We have uh, uh, orientation on Monday evening. And we have first day of school, Bailey's Grove after school on Tuesday. Let's see here. What about the other school systems? Let's see. Where's that? I hate to call somebody up. They're not here when they're always here. You don't know who I'm looking for. Miss Shook knows who I'm looking for. I don't know if they're here or not. Uh, anyway, when did the uh, when did the other schools? When did uh, anybody know when the city schools go back? Twenty eighth. Who are you pointing to? Nina, when you go back to school? 28th. Okay. All right. So you got a little more breathing room than the kids here. How about the county schools? County schools? Anybody know? 28th as well. All right. So, all right. And then uh, we have several, uh, of course, we've got several new staff. We praise the Lord for that and excited for them. You pray for them if you would. And then also several new students. How many new students? Any idea? About a dozen new students. So praise the Lord for that. Amen. And Oh, thir- uh, not counting the kindergarten, 12, not counting the kindergarten class. So 13 kindergartners. All right. So anyway, pray for Miss Anna and uh, her sanity. All right. Uh, that's exciting, isn't it? Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. And I'm going to we'll pray. We're going to jump right back in for those that are new to us. We're studying verse by verse through the book of Proverbs. This is the young man's book, the book of wisdom. And uh, we need uh, we need wisdom from the Lord, don't we? Wisdom is practical. Wisdom is knowledge applied. And uh, it will help you with simple daily decisions. It will help you with relationships. Every Christian ought to crave wisdom. And wisdom is the principal thing, the Bible said. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all that getting, get understanding. That's what we want to do tonight in Proverbs chapter number 15. Let me pray and we'll jump in. Father, we love you. We thank you for the Bible. Thank you for uh, access to the Word of God in our own language. And thank you, Lord, for a place we could come in peace and safety and gather and study the Word together. And so I know, Lord, many are weary, tired. They, their minds are tired. Many of their bodies are tired from working throughout the day. And I pray, Lord, that you just help us be able to settle in and just enjoy, enjoy the Word of God tonight. And, and I said, Lord, it's a lot of fun just looking at these verses, meditating on them and trying to dig truth out of them and discover what's under the surface and what's right on the surface, what's underneath. And so help us all just to have a good time in the Lord tonight as we look at these sweet passages in Christ's name. Amen. We finished up with verse number 12, and I just want to springboard from 12 into it, because there's several of these verses, as you'll see, they kind of fit together. It's not like a group of verses, but very, they're very common. Uh, very, uh, have, excuse me, they have a lot in common. And, um, and verse 12 sort of fits in with these verses that follow. And so we pick up where we left off last uh, Wednesday, last time together, uh, on this subject. A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him. A scorner is one of the main characters of the Bible. Your main characters in the Bible uh, are the wise man, the foolish man, the simple man, uh, the scorner. Uh, the strange woman, those are the main characters of the book of Proverbs. And, uh, and so one of the scorners, that's the critic, 
That's the naysayer. That's the one that's, uh, uh, what do you call her? Debbie Downer. And uh, all Debbies are Downers. All right, sorry. Oh, i got a few Debbies right here. But anyway, but uh, that's the scorner. That's the one always got something negative to say, always criticizing, and so forth. And so the Bible says, A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him. He has that in common with the foolish man. He can't stand somebody correcting him. can't stand somebody telling him what to do. And the scorner's the same way. And that's the funny thing about a scorner. Most people that love to criticize cannot take one iota of criticism. <laughs> Most people who scorn others, they cannot handle any scorn. They can't take it. <laughs> They're really good at dishing it out and really poor at taking it. And so if you if you carry your feelings on your sleeve, you ought, you might need to check your tongue. You say, well, it's not, it's not that. Uh, no, no. Uh, scorners, are, uh, they're angry, they're proud. The Bible says one thing is they can't take it. They can't take being uh, being criticized or scorned. And so, anyway, now we jump into verse number 13, where the Bible says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is Broken. Now, folks, listen. Many, many a person will never read our Bible and never come to a church service, perhaps. But every, listen, every Christian is a walking billboard for Christ. Your face says something about your Savior. Yeah, one, one way or the other. One way or the other. Now, let me say, there's not a lot of joy in this world. There's just not, there's no joy in sin. There's some pleasure, but it doesn't last long. But there's no joy. There's no deep-seated joy in the world. The world can't offer that, and sin doesn't offer that. So, you know what? A, a lost person, listen, one of the most compelling things for a lost person is to watch the countenance of a Christian in troublesome times, in time of injustice, in time of mistreatment. Do you know I'm absolutely convinced that the Apostle Paul, well, I don't, I'm not convinced, I know he was. The Apostle Paul was under conviction. Remember what the Lord said on the road to Damascus, hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Paul was under conviction. He was fighting. He was kicking. Uh, uh, the, the, the prick there is like the ox goat. You stick it right in the, in the uh, 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 behind the leg there and the salt and you boom and get that oxen moving and that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit and, and that ox when you poke him he'll kick like that and Jesus said I've been poking you you've been kicking back at me and he said it's a hard way to go isn't it and that tells me this that Paul was under conviction you know one reason I, I, I bet I know one time he fell under conviction and that's when he held the clothes of Stephen as he was stoned to death. And Paul, who hated Christianity, they weren't called Christians yet, they called people of the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And folks remember that. And they called him people of the way. And and Paul's there holding the clothes of this man. He's presiding. That wasn't just they needed a hat rack. That means he was presiding over this uh, execution. And here's this man being stoned to death. And the Bible said his face was like an angel. Amen. <laughs> Not a fallen angel. His face was angelic. Literally. Can you imagine it being 
being, that's a, a cruel way to be killed. Stoning, stoned to death, literally his body pelted with stones until a large stone, no doubt, to knock him to the ground. A large stone would have crushed his head. And his face was like an angel and the prayer on his lips. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Wow. Now you imagine what that did to the old hardened apostle Paul. Who wasn't a Paul yet. He was Saul, the the uh, 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 man who tortured and God's people and held, the Bible said, drug men and uh, women into prison and, uh, and uh, slated them for execution. And so, you know, our faith says something about our Savior, doesn't it? If you're being stoned to death and you can smile and you can ask forgiveness of those who are torturing you, then you've got something real, don't you? You've got something real. And, uh, and uh, so, uh, uh, let me give you a statement for this verse. Uh, what's in our heart shows up on our face. We've been trying to give a sentence for each of these verses. and uh, <clears throat> But here's the simple truth. What's in our heart shows up on our face. Listen, I'm convinced of this. <laughs> Don't do it to me because then I'll be convicted. But I'm convinced if God's people, if somehow, without our knowing, if somebody could video our face for the day, and record our words and tones and conversation. And without our knowledge. Now, if we knew it, we'd behave, wouldn't we? We're on camera. We all, we all act different when we're on camera. How come we don't look like this if we take a picture? I don't know. You take a picture. Nobody looks like that when they're not taking a picture. I mean, you know, we just... It does, it does something to us. But what if, what if we could... What if, we, what if it was all candid... What if we took every 30 seconds a candid shot of our face throughout the day and we had to go look at our own mug afterwards? <laughs> Some of us are depressed already. Uh, and same thing, with our, same thing with our words, with our conversation. The tone of our words. The word selection. Uh, the inflection of our voice as we speak. The Bible says here, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. What's in our heart shows up on our face. Now, look at that little phrase, sorrow of the heart. And you might want to mark this in your Bible. I have underlined here, the heart, in verse number 13. You can put in parenthesis there, my heart. Whose heart's he talking about? My heart. The sorrow of the heart is talking about my own heart. So when my heart is sorrowful, that breaks my spirit. It can break other spirit as well, but it breaks my spirit. So what he's talking about here, he's talking about uh, self-pity. He's talking about feeling sorry for yourself. That's what he's talking about. By sorrow of, oh, I'm so mistreated. I'm so mistreated. Oh, that wasn't fair. Oh, and everything, nothing goes your way. And uh, uh, the Bible said, by sorrow of the heart, self-pity, uh, a spirit is broken. Uh, uh, self-pity is one of the most self defeating attitudes you can possibly have. Self-pity is one of the most self-defeating attitudes that you can possibly have. The Old Testament prophet said this. He said, hey, 
You, we've been, I've been hearing this proverb. The well, the Lord told the prophet, prophet told the people. God said, I've been hearing this proverb. The father have eaten sour, fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, dad made a decision and it put a bitter taste in my mouth. We shorten it this day. It's still a proverb. We used to say sour grapes. And we mean by that somebody's got a bad taste in their mouth over something that happened. Somebody something did. And the, the, the man of God said this. Uh, God said, we're not going to talk like that anymore. We're not going to use that Proverbs around here. And then he followed it up with this. He said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. What had happened is, this little sour grape proverb had become an excuse to blame mom and dad and those who came before you for your own bad behavior. Listen, what is wicked, one thing that's wicked about a globalist Marxist mindset, you cannot advance globalism unless you create a victim class. Because the government can't come in and sweep in and save everybody unless you've got a, a bunch of victims. Now, here we are, the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth, the most free people in human history. And half of our nation is up in arms for being mistreated. Hogwash. Now, I know I'm blessed beyond measure. I understand that. But let me tell you something. We have more to be thankful for than any nation on the face of the earth. And the people that stoke racial tension and stoke uh, 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 class warfare and stoke this victim mentality are people who do not have our best interests at heart. They have their own interests at heart. You mark that down. Listen. Look, look at the face of the folks burning our cities down. Now, by the way, look at the face of your favorite, I started to say singer, but it's not singing. Look at the face of your favorite album. The Bible said, the show of their countenance doth a witness against them. What's the word? They, I've lost the word. They show their sin as Sodom. These Sodomites are some of the angriest people on the face of the earth. They're mad at the world. Why? We didn't make you do weird things. Why are you mad at us? But they're furious. They're angry. Now listen. We're God's. How many of you say say amen? We're God's people. Now if we got the same face as the, as the world. Mad at the world. Bunch of, if we carry the same face. How? They're not, going, they're, not, they're not coming in the door of the church. Many won't come. Won't read our Bible. But they, they work across the table from you perhaps. Or they work in the shop with you. Or they see you in your place of business. Listen, the most pleasant people in the grocery store ought to be God's people. The most pleasant people at the restaurant ought to be God's people. Shame on us for being so selfish that we get a little frustrated and angry and upset. And like, uh, listen, we are God's people. Amen. Amen. And, and Christianity ought to show up on our faces. Uh, sorrow of the heart, self pity. 
one of the most self-defeating attitudes we can possibly have. So what are sins of the heart? Uh, Notice the verse again. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. But, in contrast, by sorrow of the heart, self-pity, the spirit is broken. What are some of the sins of the heart? Uh, um, Envy. Jealousy. In your your mind's eye for just a moment, see the face of an envious person. In your mind's eye for a moment, see the face of a jealous person. Or a hateful person. Or an angry person. Or a bitter person. A negative person. A rebellious person. A person with a grudge. A person who is resentful. Now, church, listen to me very carefully. We're we're going to move on here in a minute. But... This is one of the most important things that I, I try to teach this to our children, especially at school and the setting where I'm in front of young people. And everyone needs this. My attitude is my decision. My attitude is my decision. Do you know why you're not happy? Because you chose not to be happy. Well, so and so. You're not the only person in the world with a so and so. You can choose. You can choose your attitude. And until we take responsibility for our own spirit, our face will never be appealing. Until we take responsibility for our own spirit, our face will never be appealing. This is fascinating to me. Esther 5.9. Haman has been invited to a special meal with just Queen Esther and the king. Remember this? And so they have this special meal. And Haman, boy, he's, he's something. Man, he is the cat's meow. He's the king's right-hand man. And so uh, a, a special meeting is called by the queen. And the queen says, "I want King, I want you to come for supper at my place. And I'm going to cook a meal for you. Uh, I want to invite one other person, Haman. And Haman's like, oh, look at me. I'm going. And so he goes to the meal. And what happens at the close of the meal? The king says, now, Esther, you said you want to ask me something. What do you want to ask me? And he and she said, uh, King, I want to ask you and Haman to come back for supper tomorrow night. And the king said, Okay, we'll come back for supper tomorrow night. And Haman said, Coming back for supper tomorrow night. Can you imagine the you know, old Haman as he walks through the palace, you know, coming from the queen's quarters, and he's got this look on his face. I mean, he is King Tut. The Bible said, Esther 5 9, then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a glad heart. Same verse. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Here's a man, and he's just happy as he can be because he's the boy, I'm the big shot, and he's got a smile on his face walking through town. Everybody's, oh, Haman, Haman, Haman. And there's a, there's a godly man by the name of Mordecai. He doesn't bow to anybody but Jehovah God. And there he is. And there he is in the palace. And, and, and Haman walks by him. And Mordecai smile, But he doesn't bow. Everybody else is bowing. Mordecai. Haman knows he won't bow. Mordecai has got a testimony. And, and listen. And Haman went from joyful and a glad heart to mad as a hornet, just like that. He saw one person and totally changed everything about his spirit. Let me ask you a question. Who could you run into that would ruin your day? Just by crossing paths with him? 
One look, it'll ruin your day. Change your countenance. What does it take to steal the gladness out of our hearts and the smiles from our faces? You know, Jesus is my Savior. Amen. I don't have to go to hell. Amen. But you know what else he is? He's my daily portion. He loadeth me with benefits. Amen. He's my Savior. But you know what else he does? He bears my burdens. Amen. Yes, he's my Savior. But my face ought to say he's more than that. He's my sustenance. Amen. He's my daily portion. He's my burden bearer. Amen. And we ought to wear our Christianity on our face. Look at verse number 14 now. Look at verse number 14. The Bible says here, The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge. The heart of him. When we read these, I want you to read them with me. Uh, Not aloud, but I want you to read along with me. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about what it means. And uh, we're trying to dig out of these verses. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge. But the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. The mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. So here we have a physical illustration of a spiritual truth. So we have the the, the understanding man that seeketh knowledge. So we have the man that's discriminating. And and, and he, he wants to understand what he's about to put in his mouth. Once in a while, my girl said, Dad, close your eyes. Open your mouth. Uh, that takes faith. Amen. And they won't surprise me and try to. But, but, but the discriminating man, he's like, I want to know what I'm about to put in my mouth. But the foolish man, he says, oh, yummy. He just sucks it right up, right? And he's foolish. He's not careful. So let me give you a statement here. And this is true both physically and morally. But obviously, we, we're talking about a moral application. We become what we eat. And we eat what we crave. We become what we eat. And we eat what we crave. Amen? Listen, my whole right leg is paydays. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but we, we, we uh, uh, become what we eat. And we eat what we crave. My, listen. My appetites, my appetite for the things of God, my appetite for the things of God diminishes to the degree that my worldly appetites increase. Let me say that again. My appetites, my godly, wholesome appetites diminish to the degree that my worldly appetites increase. Listen, I, I, was, I said this on, in the message Sunday morning. We ought to have a love for truth. Amen? No matter how well it's presented, or and well's not the right way to say it, but no matter how it's presented. Amen? We ought to have a love for the truth. And our appetite for truth is diminished when we feed uh, worldly or fleshly appetites. Now, uh, and by the way, the opposite is true as well. My worldly appetites diminish when my uh, spiritual appetites increase. Amen? Hey, some of you don't laugh at some things you used to laugh at and thank God for it. Amen? It's not funny anymore to you. Right? Yeah, that was the old days. That was back yonder. That's what we were. Uh, such were some of you as the Bible says. 
But now listen, here's the good news. You don't have to be a slave to your appetites. Amen? You can choose what you consume. Now the foolish man says, oh, that's good. That's what the foolish man does. He just scarfs it up. But the man of understanding says, mm, let, me, let me make sure. Let me use a little discernment here. Maybe I should just, maybe I should just sit down and watch something and wait for the surprises. Maybe I should be careful about what I consume. Everybody with me? Everybody understand what I'm saying tonight? The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge. I want to know more about this. I want to know something about this. The fool, he just slurps it up. So the good news is you don't have to be a slave to your appetite. Commit thy, here's a great verse. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Sometimes we put feeling in front of action. We need to put action in front of feeling. The Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now Al Gore, when he was running for president, said, "Where your like the Bible verse, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also." But he didn't read the Bible, and whoever wrote his speech didn't read the Bible either. The Bible says the opposite: where your treasure is, there will your now present tense where your treasure is right now, there will your heart be also in the future. Now watch me. What's the most valuable thing you have? What's the most valuable thing you have? Your car. Uh, your house, food in the cabinet. Most valuable thing you have is your time because that's your life, right? How many people would give an entire fortune to have 24 hours more when they get to their deathbed? And so, so, uh, 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 so when you commit your works, the Bible said your thoughts will be established. When you invest the treasure of your time, uh, 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 when you invest the treasure of your time, your heart will follow. The world says follow your heart. God says lead your heart. Amen. Put your treasure where it ought to be. Invest in what you ought to invest in and your appetites will follow. I was listening to one of Brother House messages uh, last week or sometime and it's funny. And uh, so he's talking about okra. He said, when I was a kid, uh, four years old, mama made me eat my okra. Five years old, I had to eat my okra. Six, I had to eat my okra. Seven, eight, nine, ten, I had to eat my okra. I had to eat my okra. And old seeds in my mouth, okra, okra, okra. He said, I hated okra. He said, you know what? After making me eat okra for 15 years, all of a sudden something happened. I turned 15 or 16. He said, I started liking the slimy stuff. <laughs> and then he said this. He said, you won't believe this, but if you put a bowl of slimy okra right here and, and, and a T-bone steak, a medium well T-bone steak juice is running out, and he said, you won't believe it, you won't believe this, but I'd eat both of them. And uh, anyway, <laughs> but, but anyway, what that illustrates, I don't remember. No, but what it illustrates is this. You, when you do what you're supposed to do, you make yourself do what you ought to do. Guess what? You, God will reward you with the proper appetites. That's what the Bible says. means when it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Listen to it again. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Make up your mind. I'm going to church and I'm going to enjoy it. Amen. How many of you enjoying church tonight? Amen. Tell your face. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to enjoy it. Amen. I'm going to enjoy it. Man, uh, I, it's been years since I watched the Super Bowl. But like the, like, doesn't the game, pregame thing last like longer than the game itself? It's like pregame. Nobody wants to say. <laughs> anyway, I think that's true. Anyway, but there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of lead up, right? 
We're anticipating. You know what you ought to do? You ought to start praying for the next service when you're leaving this one. Amen? And looking forward to it. Amen? Uh, the Bible says if you delight in something, then God will give you the desires of your heart. It doesn't say God will give you whatever you desire. He said he'll give you the desires. The great truth in that verse, you could apply it more than one way, I think, but the great truth in that verse is that if you decide, I just want to please the Lord, I, I, I want to put a smile on his face, then God will begin to change your desires. When you say, I want to delight in the Lord, I want my Heavenly Father to be happy with me and my life, then what God does is he takes your head, he unscrews the top of it, and takes out those raunchy desires, puts in new desires, screws the top back on, shakes it up and says, you on the way. And all of a sudden, you start enjoying things you thought you'd never enjoy. Amen? Some of you like good music. And you didn't used to. And there's, you've come to a place where you say, I never thought I'd like this. And you love it. Amen? You love it. And I, like, oh, well, I think I can tell this Brother Bill. He told me about a year ago. He said, told me about uh, he works for the state. And you know, it's a bunch of heathen work for the state. But anyway, uh, but he told me about uh, going in all the vehicles. And uh, turning them all to uh, uh, BBN Radio. Amen. 95.5. Turn them all on there. So the guys got in their trucks that day. All of them on Christian Radio. Amen. Uh, anyway, I thought that was funny. Uh, uh, so the Bible said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. How do you get a hunger for righteousness? Start feeding on righteousness. Amen. Look, if you're struggling with the basics of the Christian life, read your Bible, pray, and come to church, you know what you probably need to do? You probably have created appetites in your life where you can't enjoy the things of God, and you need to starve those appetites. It, look, how can you always go... And no wonder you don't pick up your songbook and sing. If that's what you got an appetite for, how are you going to enjoy the choir specials? What you ought to do... Is shut all that off. I, I, I double dog day. Okay. Trap for 30 days. For 30 days, you say, I just keep all that churchy kind of music. I just can't, okay, cut, take it all out of your life. Every bit of music out of your life. Spend some time in the Word. And you know what? Listen, in that much time, your appetites will begin to change. They'll begin to change. You know what? I, I, I tell you what you could do. What you could do is you could get an appetite for preaching. You listen instead of you could listen to Lester roll off. Just let him rip your hat off for a little while. Amen. It, it, it's it's the most painful, wonderful thing. <laughs> listen to some old timers and, and preach the word. I mean, preach the word of God. God has chosen. The Bible said. First Corinthians one eighteen: the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. Amen. First Corinthians one twenty one says that uh, uh, after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. In Titus 1.3, God hath in due times manifest his word through preaching. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus quoted in Luke 4, 18, 19, 20, and 21. He's quoting from Isaiah, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor, preach deliverance to the captives, preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and all the eyes were on him. The Bible said, he said, This day is just fulfilled in your eyes. Jesus Christ came to preach. Amen. 
Isaiah 58, 1 says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions. Find you some of these old leather lung preachers, old time fundamental Baptist preachers, who still cry aloud, and spare not, and name sin. Amen? You say, I don't think I'd like that. You'd be, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Hey, there's few things that any more fun than watching somebody get their hide skinned. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, we get we listen. We 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 don't get to sit together in church much. But when we get to get, sit together in church, we laugh a lot. We have a good time. Amen. You know, if you're tithing, don't you love it when preacher gets on tithing? Amen. You're like, yeah, that's good stuff. And whatever you know, you're doing something you're supposed to be doing. He gets on you. Oh, it's, boy, that was good tonight, wasn't it? And some people are, like, you know, not enjoying themselves. But the Bible said Ezekiel 6.11 about this. Saith, Thus saith the Lord God, smite with thine hand, stamp with thy feet. He's talking to the prophets. He said Ezekiel 21, 12 to the prophets. Cry out, cry and howl. That's what he said do. He's talking to the men of God. He said, smite therefore upon thy thigh. He said Ezekiel 22.14. He said, prophesy, smite thine hands together. So the man of God, God told these men, he said, man, when you, when you cry and howl and smite and slap and, and Get with it. That's what he's saying. Amen. Now let me tell you something. Listen. You said that's kind of strange. I think it's strange. And by the way, mine don't have any profanity. And mine doesn't degrade women. And it's not illegitimate. It doesn't exalt death, murder, suicide, shooting somebody up. No. But listen. You, why don't you get hooked on that? Amen. Get you an appetite. And if you're not sure where to find some, I got, I, I have got a treasure trove I can share with you. Right, verse number 15. Here we go. All the days of the afflicted are evil. You ever know anybody like that? All the days of the afflicted are evil. Word afflicted there means depressed. But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. The word evil there means calamity or distress. So here's this person. He's down in the dumps. All the days of the afflicted are evil. Here's a statement for you. By the way, this verse parallels verse number 13 that we read. Look at verse 13. A merry heart making the cheerful countenance. Remember that? This verse parallels it. All the days of the afflicted are evil. But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Here's the statement. You can be so consumed with negatives... That you no longer see the good. You can be so consumed with the negatives. That you no longer see the good. Everybody has good days and bad days. And the Bible here is describing a person who is always afflicted. I mean all the days of afflicted. In other words every day is an exasperation. Every day is a calamity. Every day is stressed out. And you can, you can be so focused on the negatives of life that you find little to no pleasure in your surroundings. On the other hand is a person living in the same surrounding, in the same social circle, same financial uh, standing, same physical limitations perhaps, and yet he or she enjoys life. And life is wonderful. Life is great. And here's the other one. Oh, life. Oh, and everything's down and, and, and depressed. Um, the word picture here is beautiful. And we have, this is our second 
uh, food picture here. Uh, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. You know what God is saying? Hey, life is a feast. Life is a buffet. Amen. I believe in that. How many of you believe in buffets? Paul believed in it. He said, I buffet my body every day. Amen. But I I remember, uh, I remember, uh, uh, hello. Uh, I remember, um, uh, go ahead, you can go ahead and get that. Uh, I remember, uh, (laughs) uh, I remember um, Dr. uh, Williams. And talking about uh, uh, a, a brother in Christ. I don't want to call his name, but I'm not sure, so I won't use it. But anyway, talking about bringing a, a, a brother in Christ over from Romania after Iron Curtain fell. And a lot of folks rushed in there. And some great things were accomplished for the Lord. And anyway, one of those dear brothers was brought here to the States for the first time. Grew up in a communist country behind the Iron Curtain. And... Uh, and taking him to a, to, a, to a buffet. First time being in the States. And taking him to a buffet. I don't know, a golden crowd or something like that. And they went in. And they, and they got in line. They got their plate. And he's over there getting his food. And the man that he had with him is just standing there. Weeping. Just weeping. Standing in the restaurant just weeping. And he goes, are you okay? He said, I've never seen this much food in one place in my entire life. And he just wept. You know, much of the world would eat better out of our garbage cans. If they could eat out of our garbage cans, they'd eat better than what they're eating now. Do you know there are more people in China that live on less than $2 a day than the entire population of this country. Think about that. Some 350 around that million people, 380, I think it is now, million people. There are more people living on $2 or less a day in China right now than the whole population. We're blessed, aren't we? God forbid that we should be ungrateful. The word picture here is life is a feast. Enjoy it. Why choose to be miserable when you can choose to have a merry heart? Amen? Why? We ought to get out of our pity party and enjoy life. Let me give you one more, verse number 16. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Here's a statement for us. No amount of wealth is worth your relationship with God. No amount of wealth is worth your relationship with God. This verse says, you are truly better off if you fear God and live with contentment. No matter what you have or don't have, you're better. He said, boy, boy, he's, he's better off. And he's, they're doing really good. You're doing really good. You're better off if you fear God, have a reverential respect and awareness of God, and live with contentment. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but there's two ways to be content. Number one, you can get everything you want, or you can want what you have. <laughs> and it's less expensive to get just to want what you have. Amen? <laughs> you know, 
you know, when we, when we, we'll finish with this. But you know, when we, when we, when we brag on days gone by, you know what we brag on? We brag on the hardships. Nobody says, man, back in my day, I made it through a whole bowl of ice cream. (laughs) I mean, nobody says that, right? But, but when we think about the nostalgia is stirred and we think about days gone by, you know what we brag on? We brag on simple days. We brag on simple days. I, you know, uh, forgive me for using a secular uh, illustration here, but I think I will because uh, Barney Fife is one of the great prophets. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I grew up in North Carolina and... and Somehow or another, I never made to Mayberry my whole life until about five or six weeks ago, beginning of the summer, we rode up to Mayberry. Uh, to uh, I say Mayberry, but it's Mount Airy. Thank you. Thank you. I know my cities. Uh, anyway, but we, we, we rode up to Mount Airy. And, uh, and, uh, and so, of course, we had to go to Snappy's and get a, a pork chop sandwich. And, uh, and I know I should, I was sitting there eating. And I, I don't know, I'm a kind of a uh, numbers guy, statistics and things like that. I pay attention to that stuff. And I couldn't help myself. I couldn't believe it's a little hole-in-the-wall place. And and food was great. Food was great. How many been to Snappy's before? All right, we'll have an invitation afterwards, and you can get that. But anyway, and I sat there in this little booth, you know, and uh, very simple menu and very reasonably priced. Got me a pork chop sandwich and a cheeseburger, too. And uh, anyway, but... Uh, anyway, and I could, there were people coming in left and right. I couldn't believe it. And so <laughs> I counted. I counted. In 16 minutes, 80 people came through that door. In 16 minutes. Now, I didn't the whole time. I did it at the whole meal, but I did it for 16 minutes of the meal. <laughs> I was fascinated. And, and, and it was like there'd be a big old line. They had a sign outside. You couldn't you couldn't come in the restaurant. It's just a line up on the sidewalk because there's no room in the restaurant. I mean, it was packed, packed. And I was like, what in the world? Just watching people come in, come in, come in. And so I, anyway, and then I started doing the dollar sign, see how much money they're making. But anyway, uh, I, was, I was curious about that. But why, why, why is, you know, why does that seem to be so uh, appealing? Why is that so, uh, uh, why is there so much nostalgia and 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 appeal still that 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 setting that that let me tell you something there's something about a simpler way of living that the fanciest shiniest fastest biggest it just simply won't give you and you know what i i know nostalgia has selective memory i understand that <laughs> And, uh, but we fall prey too often to the thought that in order for me to be content, in order for me to be happy, I have to have this great treasure. And yet the Bible says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Treasure brings its own trouble, doesn't it? Treasure brings its own trouble. The less we have, the less we have to worry about. Amen. And uh, but God, godliness with contentment truly is great, great, great gain.
Thank you for being here tonight, church. I sure love you. Making Wednesday night part of your week is such an important thing. Thank you. Father, we love you.